want to talk to you about some rest today. In fact, the title of my message is, It's Time to Rest. It's time to rest. I heard somebody trying to describe a, an NFL football game, and um, they, they were referring to a you know, big playoff time when the stadiums are packed and and the person who watched the game for the first time uh, said, you know, it looks to me like there were 80,000 people who desperately needed some exercise that were just sitting and 22 people who desperately needed some rest were working down there on the field. And uh, that's, that's kind of what it's like. Uh, if we could get those 80,000 out of the stands, we wouldn't have any problem moving that ball down the field. That ball's not a, my, my favorite quote of all times by Herschel Walker. Many of you remember Herschel Walker years ago, especially if you're a Georgia fan. Herschel Walker, you know, sometimes people will interview these, these uh, broadcasters will interview superstars and they'll ask them some of the dumbest questions. And uh, this, this one reporter was really trying to make an impression and said, Mr. Walker, how is it that you can take that ball and you can run through that, that, that line of those big old rough guys and, and you can run through the secondary and, and you can just keep going? I said, how is it you can do that? And Herschel said, <clears throat> tell you the truth, that ball ain't all that heavy. And turned around and just walked off. <laughs> I want to talk to you about some rest. You might remember this story. I've told it before, but it's true. When Faye and I went to pastor our first church, it was a little church called Tunai. And they called it Tunai because it was Tunai Marietta to be called Canton, and it was Tunai Canton to be called Marietta, so they called it Tunai. But it was above Marietta, and uh, a lady came to me shortly after we had gotten there and said, I've, I've tried everything I know to get my husband to come to church. Would you, would you consider coming to visit him? Maybe he would, if you would personally invite him, maybe he'd come to church. Said, I've invited him. All my friends have invited him, relatives of him. We've done everything. We, we just can't get him to go to church. And so I've, I went over to visit the fella. And uh, while we were sitting and talking, I, I mentioned that to him. I said, uh, I understand you've been invited by everybody to come to church and you haven't responded. So I wanted to come and personally invite you. We'd love to have you come and visit. Is, is there any reason why you don't attend church? And he said, yeah. He said, I lost a lot of sleep during the war and I'm trying to catch up. Now the war he was talking about was World War II. That was over in what, 1945? And this was 1970. And he, he was still trying to catch up on his sleep. Boy, I, 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 I preached his funeral a little while later and I had to bite my lip to keep from saying, well, I guess he'll catch up on his sleep now. Uh, at least I hope where, <laughs> that he went where he can catch up on some sleep. <laughs> But I want to talk to you, as I said, about rest. You know, rest is a subject that's all through the Bible. You can go from Genesis to Revelations, and you'll find rest talked about. But probably the most predominant place in the entire Bible where rest is spoken of 
talked about, dealt with in depth is in the book of Hebrews. You remember the book of Hebrews was written to a Hebrew Christian. In other words, these were Jewish converts. They had converted from Judaism into Christianity. And one of the reasons the book of Hebrews was written, God gave that book to the writer to give to these saints to help encourage them to stay with the faith and not give up because they were under tremendous pressure to go back under Judaism. These people who had accepted Christ as their Messiah, many of them, their families disowned them, and there was constant pressure trying to pull them back into Judaism. And the writer of Hebrews tells them, said, well, if, if you go back, if you reject Christ and you go back to the old covenant, there is no other sacrifice but Jesus for our sins. Now, I know a lot of people think that's narrow-minded, but let me tell you, folks, the way is straight and it's narrow. And there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That's what the Word says. And so in the book of Hebrews, every chapter in that book of Hebrews tells you something about the new covenant that's better than the old covenant. And in chapters 3 and 4, it really deals with this thing of rest. rest. So I'm, I'm going to take my text this morning from chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Let me read it to you. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest remains. Can I stop there just a moment? God had made a promise way back under the old covenant that there was a rest that was provided for the people of God. And the writer of Hebrews said, that promise is still in vogue. It's for you today under the new covenant. In fact, it's even better than what was offered under the old covenant. And we'll see that in just a moment. Let us fear lest any of you should seem to come short of it. Here's the concern of the writer. God has promised you this rest. And he says, I'm afraid that, that some of you are just going to you're going to miss it. The promise is there. And yet you're going to walk right by it and miss it. He was concerned about that. So he said, for the gospel was preached to us as well as it was to them. But the word preached did not benefit them. Notice this last phrase in my text. Because it was not mixed with faith in those that heard it. Because it was not mixed with faith in those that heard it. I want you to get that and hold on to that because when I come to the conclusion of the message, you're going to see the importance of that. They had the promise. It was theirs. They had received the promise. They'd read it. They knew what it said. And yet it didn't benefit them because it was not mixed with faith. Can I make a blanket statement this morning and tell you that that applies to everything in this book, every promise in this book. If you don't mix it with faith, it won't benefit you. You can hear it and hear it and hear it. You can even read it and read it and read it. But it's not going to have a positive effect in your life until you mix it with faith. In other words, you have to reach a point where you believe it. It is the basis for our salvation. Read Romans 10, 9 and 10. It says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, you got to mix it with faith for it to work. 
But oh, let me tell you, when you mix it with faith, it moves from a promise to a reality. That's how we're, we're saved. For with the mouth man confesses, with the heart man believes, and, and that works salvation in us. So let's talk about this rest today. There are three kinds of rests that are mentioned in the Scripture. One is physical rest, and that's important, by the way. If you don't take enough rest for your body, you're going to do yourself irreparable damage if you're not careful. God even instituted a day of rest. And I know a lot of people think because we're not Seventh-day Adventists that we shouldn't uh, be dogmatic about this thing of rest. But just because you don't adhere to a Sabbath day as a day of rest doesn't mean that it isn't important for us to have a day of rest. It is very important. In fact, if you keep pushing yourself, if you're one of these workaholics and you just drive yourself and go on and on and on and on and on and never take any rest, never recreate, never refresh, never take pause, you're going to hit the wall. I can promise you, you're going to hit the wall. You're going to come to a point where your physical man cannot push any further. So physical rest is important. There's a second kind of rest that's mentioned in the Scripture. And that's an, an emotional and mental rest, a, a soulish rest, if you please. Your soul is made up of your mind, will, and emotions. And Jesus talks about that rest in Matthew chapter 11. And I'll read that portion to you in a little bit. That's an important rest. Then finally, the Bible said, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. That's the rest that you're going to have when you get to heaven. That's a wonderful rest. Praise God. And the reason that rest is so refreshing and so wonderful is because we're going to have glorified bodies. And they won't, they won't be subject to what these physical bodies are here now. Praise God. That don't mean when you get to heaven, you're just going to sit down and do nothing. God is an active God, and I'm convinced that we're going to be very active in the eternal future with God. God has things for us to do. In fact, we're going to be priests and kings with God. We're going to rule and reign with Jesus. But you're not going to have to worry about the body getting tired like this old body does because we're going to have a glorified body like the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to key in on that middle rest. Um, I don't have any problem with the physical rest. I know how to get physical rest. <laughs> Go get some sleep. Amen. Get you a sleep comfort or a, a uh, Tempur-Pedic or a, a Sealy Postopedic or a, whatever it is. Find, get you a good mattress and get you a good pillow uh, and lay down and get some sleep. That's, that'll give you some good rest. And uh, so that's, that was good. The one we have the most problem with is that mental and emotional rest, that soulish kind of rest. In fact, if, if, if you deal with that rest, you're really dealing with stress. And that's the problem that most of us are dealing with today because it's stress. That's the culprit that causes us to have headaches and neck aches and shoulder aches and back aches and heartburn and ulcers and skin rashes and hives and insomnia and migraines and nervous breakdowns and heart attacks and diabetes and cancer and depression. And if I missed anything, did I miss anything that you've got? 
If I did, just put it in there. It covers that too. Um, you, you, you say that that causes, no, I didn't say that that causes all of those, but it certainly is a negative force that will add to that. Now, it does cause some of it. There's some people who would absolutely get well if they could just get out from under so much stress. Stress does cause some of it. Doesn't cause all of it, but it makes all of it worse. And so I'm concerned with that kind of rest because the Scripture has an answer for that. Now, you can, you can go one of two ways. You can go to the doctor, and I'm not against doctors. I thank God for doctors, and they play a wonderful role in all of our lives, and I appreciate what they can do for us. But when it comes to stress, when you go to the doctor, they're going to prescribe something to help you rest. And if it don't work, you go back and they'll prescribe something else. And if that don't work, they'll prescribe something else. That's why they call it a practice. They, they're, they're practicing. They're trying to make it work on you. And they'll, they'll keep working until they'll find something after a while that'll finally get you out there where you got some rest. Now, please don't read the side effects because <clears throat> then you'll have more stress and you'll have to find something else because that'll scare you to death. You take this pill and you'll be able to sleep, <clears throat> but you may damage your kidneys or your liver or your pancreas or your heart or your brain or your, <laughs> you know. <laughs> or, or you can go to this book. There is an answer for that kind of rest that you need in this book. And I'm going to give you three points on this, and my message won't be long. The first thing I want to tell you is that rest, I want to talk about rest as a position, a position in life. God works from a position of rest. Let me read to you from Genesis chapter 2, the first two verses. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished, and on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Now, God didn't rest because he was tired and weary, but God instituted that rest because he wanted us to see that. And he wanted us to understand that he instituted that as a principle throughout his entire kingdom. In fact, if you don't allow the land to rest, you're in trouble. It won't produce as much as it would if you took a time to rest. Did, did you know that in, in the Old Testament that the farmers would section off their property and, and they would, every seven years, they would let this portion rest for, for a year and then another portion rest and they gave rest for it. I've heard scientists say that one of the things that we are suffering from today in America is uh, the lack of some of the nu nutritional value from the soil. We can't get it because the soil is so tired. For example, in this part of the country, our, our land now is almost totally depleted of selenium. That's one of the trace elements that your body needs. And we're just wearing our land out. We just keep fertilizing and, and cultivating and, and trying to produce more and produce more and produce. And we are producing more, 
but with less value. And, and so everything, it's a principle throughout God's entire system of, of rest. You, sh you should rest. And God did it. Now, first of all, God ended his work week with a day of rest. When you're reading through Genesis there, he created on the first day, let there be light, and there was light. Created on the second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, and, and the sixth day, and then he rested. The seventh day, he rested. I love this. But when God created man, look how he loves us. And look how he wants us to get this. Man's week started with a day of rest. Look at man's position. Let me read it to you. Genesis 1, 26 to 28, and also verse 31. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female created them. And then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God saw that everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good, so the evening and the morning were the sixth day. That's when God created man. And then God ended his work with a day of rest, but man began his work week with a day of rest. Now, now get a hold of this. God wants you to start your work from a position of rest. That's the way it was before the fall. Man was rested. Man was rejuvenated. Man fellowship with God. You, I don't know whether that was a 24-hour day or whether that was, as um, the Apostle Peter said, for with the Lord a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years a day. It may have been a thousand years that he just fellowshiped with God. I'm, I'm not trying to split hairs on that. I just want you to understand that God blessed us, and this is the example of what life was supposed to be like before sin came into the rest, in, into the world. We were supposed to enter our work with rest. God gave them an assignment. You saw the assignment. He told them what to do. There's a job for them to do, but he started them off. Their first day on planet Earth was a day of rest. They just rested in the Lord, and they started their work from a position of rest. Now, here's the problem with most of us. You'll go into work tomorrow, stressed out, work to death. I know you've had the weekend off. Please, ladies, don't get mad at me about this. But some of you guys, you work hard all week, and finally you get a day off, and your honeydew list is so long till you look forward to going back to work because you just about wore out from what you had to do on your time off and your time of rest. And, and, and we just keep going through this cycle and just wearing ourselves down and depleting our energy. God never intended it to be that way. God wanted you to start your work week from rest. Now, second point I want to make to you is that rest, I want you to look at it as a position lost. This is what man lost in the fall. Genesis 3, 17 to 19. This is what God said to Adam. Then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree that I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. 
in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you and you shall eat the herb of the field in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken for dust you are and to dust you shall return this is part of what happened in the fall first of all the serpent was cursed then Eve was cursed then Adam was cursed and the ground was cursed and, and all of this was because of sin. This wasn't because God had a, uh, it, God loved man. I, I mean, you wouldn't have the Bible today if it wasn't for God trying to bring you back into fellowship, get you back to where he started you from. God didn't do this because he was angry. This is the result of sin. This is what sin caused. The curse brought, a, brought all of that on the earth. And, and so man's punishment for his sin was that your labor is going to be cursed. That's, that's under the, the thing of sin. But thanks be unto God, 2,000 years ago, there was a second Adam that visited planet earth. Amen. His name was Jesus. He's the second Adam. And he died on a cross. 2,000 years ago, he shed his blood. He shed his blood from his brow, from his face, from his hands, from his back, from his side, from his feet, and from his skin. Seven places, the wounds of the cross of Calvary, of what Jesus suffered for us. And he suffered so that you and I might be saved. That was the main purpose for which he came. We could be redeemed and brought back into the family of God. But with that, praise God. And we live beneath our privilege of this. But with that, God also through Jesus redeemed us from that old curse. That's why I tell you when we come and receive communion, that one of the things you need to do is proclaim victory and plead the blood of Jesus over your labor. He bled from his brow. The curse says man shall make his living by the sweat of his brow. It'll be toil and labor. The earth will resist you. That's as you're a farmer. Well, that means your labor is going to be resistant to you in whatever you do. But thanks be unto God when we take advantage of what we have in Jesus Christ through redemption from the curse, we can, we can face our toil and labor totally different. I've had people come to the table of communion, and when they grasp that, I've had people to tell me, Preacher, I've been looking for a job. I lost my job. I can't get a job. I can't. And I, I encourage them, when you take communion, believe God and declare and confess that the curse no longer applies to my work. The curse no longer applies to my labor. It's under the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm redeemed from that. And I proclaim Jesus Lord over my work. You need to go into work tomorrow refreshed in the Lord, having worshiped in the presence of God today with the anointing of the Spirit. You need to get up in the morning and confess what the Word says and walk into your job saying, praise God, this place is blessed to have me here. I'm a child of the Most High God. This company is going to be a better company because I'm a part of it. And, and God's blessing my labor. Amen. My labor is no longer cursed. It's blessed because I'm going to tithe off of what God gives me. He's going to have first place. Amen. 
Some of you labor's cursed because you've been stealing from God ever since, you, ever since you've been working. And, and God don't bless thieves. Praise God. Amen, preacher. Um, so you, you need to get that curse off your labor. God wants you to rest. God doesn't want you to go into work in the morning all stressed out. He wants you to go into work so excited to be there and so happy and just believing that God's going to bless you. I've had people come to the community and they come to me a week later and say, Preacher, I've been trying to get work for three months or six months. And after I, after I believed that and stood on the Word of God, got a job the next day. Some people have come to me and said, I got promoted on my job. Amen. Did you know God cares about your job? Turn to your neighbor and make sure they got it. Tell them, say, God cares about your job. He cares about your labor. He wants you. Now, <laughs> just, as much as, just as much as rest was lost under the curse, my third point is that rest is regained under the blessing. Praise God. I've given you that Old Testament narrative. In fact, God, God gave us an example there, what we call types and shadows in the Old Testament. In other words, God gave us things in the Old Testament, when we read the Old Testament, to point us so that when we get to the New Testament, we'll recognize what that is. It was a type and a shadow people were looking forward to. And God allowed them to get a taste of what was coming through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the whole nation of Israel had suffered in Egyptian bondage for many, many years as slaves. And God told them, he said, I made a promise to your father Abraham, and I'm going to keep that promise. I'm going to bring you out of slavery, and I'm going to take you to the promised land, to a place of rest. I'm going to take you to that. They came out of Egypt. They walked across the wilderness, and they got ready to go into the promised land. They sent spies over to look at it, and they came back, and 10 of those spies came back with fear and trembling. They said, oh, my goodness. Oh, it is a beautiful place over there. But there are giants in the land, and the people's hearts just melted like water. But Caleb and Joshua stood up and said, my goodness, alive. So there are giants over there in the land. Don't you remember? God gave us a promise. That's our, that's our promised land. It's a place of rest. We're not going to be slaves anymore. That's a place that flows with milk and honey. That's a place where we're going to have the favor of God, the blessings of God. That's the blessed. That's what Abraham saw it by faith way back yonder. Isaac saw it. Jacob saw it. All the elders have seen it. Moses had pointed towards us. And, and, and we're ready. Let's go in and get it right now. Let's go. And a whole generation died in the wilderness because they did not take the promise of God and mix it with faith. Remember, I read that a while ago and said, hang on to that. I'm coming back to it. They did not mix it with the exception of Caleb and Joshua. And they said, this is a promise of God. We believe it. We believe that our God is more than able to take it. Caleb and Joshua got to go in with the next generation into the promised land. In fact, when old Caleb was 80 years old, I was reading it last week, Caleb marched around a mountain, and it was full of giants. He came back and told Joshua, he said, give me that mountain. Joshua said, Caleb, we're not as young as we used to be. 
you 80 years old, boy. He said, Brother Joshua, let me tell you something. I've got a promise from God that wherever the sole of my feet, my feet traverse, that God will give it to me if I'll believe him for it. And he said, I am more than able. Praise God. I believe I'm as strong today at 80 as I was at 40. That's what he was saying. Give me that mountain. Joshua said, go get it, boy. And old Caleb took that mountain and his whole inheritance because he believed. He believed the Word of God. I'm not giving you some magic formula. You're not just going to go into work tomorrow and the whole thing changes. But if you will exercise your faith, if you will declare this is what the Word of God says, and I proclaim it over my labor. I'm tired of the devil stealing jobs from me. I'm tired of people getting promoted ahead of me that, that don't deserve it as much as I do. I'm tired of being in constant conflict with everybody else. Praise God. I believe the Word. I'm highly favored of God. I'm the blessed of God. I'm the seed of Abraham through Jesus Christ. I rest my case, and I'm going forward in Jesus. Praise God. That's our position in the New Testament. That explains it. And I want to close with this. The invitation of Jesus. The invitation of Jesus. He invites you to come into this rest. Let me read it to you from Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Come to me. Most of y'all can quote this. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find what? Rest. What kind of rest? For your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Glory to God. Jesus said, why don't you yoke up with me for your daily activities. Now listen, if you're going to get in the yoke with Jesus, you're going to have to take off that yoke that you've been carrying. You, you, you're just going to have to get out from under that. All that stress, all that worry, all that confusion, all that apprehension, you're going to have to cast that care over on the Lord. But then when you yoke up with Jesus, the reason Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, he's referring from your standpoint. Once you yoke up with him, glory to God. You know why? Because when you yoked up with Jesus, you yoked up with a sure enough he man. He can carry the load. Believe me, folks, he can carry the load. He's already proved good night. He, he marched through death, took the keys of hell and of death, and came out victorious three days later. He's conquered everything. He's conquered it all. He's conquered your problems. He's conquered your worries and troubles at work. He's conquered your marriage and family problems and children problems and financial problems and whatever kind of problems you've got this morning. So if you yoke up with him, that's why the yoke is easy and the burden's light because he's pulling. All you got to do is just stay in step with him. That's all. Just stay in step with him. And you'll just walk right through it to the other side. 
going to close with this illustration from Mark chapter 4. Remember, the disciples one time got in a boat and started the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And while they were on the boat traveling to the other side, a severe storm came up and rocked the boat. In fact, almost destroyed them. They were, they were so afraid. And they started looking for Jesus. I love this. They started looking for Jesus. It's in the latter part of, the last, uh, of that fourth chapter of Mark. You know where they found him? He got one of them big pillows. And St. Mark said that he was asleep on a pillow. He was in the same storm, asleep on a pillow in the midst of that boat. The disciples came running to him. You remember the story. They wakened him. They said, do you don't care that we perish? And Jesus got up and he did. He rebuked three things. He rebuked the wind and the wind subsided like it was ashamed of itself. He rebuked the waves and they laid down and the sea became calm. But then he turned around and rebuked the disciples. He said, oh, ye of little faith. This has got to be mixed with faith. You got to believe. Mixed with faith. I want them to put a picture up on the screen here. This is a Rembrandt. This is called the storm at sea. Rem, the, the master painter, Rembrandt, did this. Uh, and the reason I want you to see this is because if, if you count the people on there, I, some say there's 13, 14. I, some of them are kind of in the shadows there. It's hard to see. I don't know. The 12 disciples were there. We know that. And there may have been some other people on board as well. No, Jesus was there. So that would have been 13. So maybe, maybe that's all of them. I don't know. But, but there's, there's a certain individual in that picture that is not one of the disciples. Let me point him out to you. It's this guy right here. He is not one of the disciples. In fact, he didn't even live at that time. But Rembrandt painted him into that picture. You know who it was? It was himself. He, Rembrandt, one of the things he was famous for, he's famous for several different kinds of painting, but one of the things he was famous for was, was self-portraits. He painted himself. One time he painted himself as the Apostle Paul. But in this picture, he painted himself, and he's in the middle between these guys over here that are looking to Jesus and these guys over here who are trying to work their way through the storm with their own ingenuity. And he's looking at the storm and he's got to make a decision whether he's going to go with the guys on the right or help the guys on the left. Now the guys on the left, they're, <laughs> they're trying to pull the ropes and the ropes are breaking. Here's one flying off over here. They're trying to hold the sails and the sails are ripping off. They're trying to steady the, the rudder and the boat and hold it in the water and the water's coming over into the water. This is, they're, they're, this, is, this is many of you. 
The reason Rembrandt drew himself or painted himself in this picture is because Rembrandt knew what storms of life were like. By the way, he was a very religious man. Rembrandt lost his wife. Rembrandt lost three daughters. There's only one daughter left. He knew what sorrow was like. He knew what it was to grieve and bereave over the loss of the closest people in life to you. That doesn't get any closer than your companion and your children. He'd been through all of that. So Rembrandt puts himself on the boat in the storm as if to say, we're going to face some storms in life. And I look out across this congregation this morning, I know some of your stories, not all, of course, but I know some of you are going through a storm right now. And the winds and the waves are rocking your boat. And you're doing everything you know how to do. And that's the problem. You're doing everything you know how to do. You're fighting this thing. You're struggling. You're trying this and you're trying that. And you're trying something else and you're trying something else and you're trying something else. And all the time, Jesus is at rest on your boat. If you'd just gather around him with the other disciples, you would realize that you don't have to fight this battle. You don't have to drive yourself crazy and have a nervous breakdown or have a physical breakdown struggling with all of this stuff that you're going through. If you will get out from under that yoke, if you'll cast your care on Jesus, if you, you're going to get to the other side. You see, what the disciples failed to realize was this. Before the, read the backstory. Before they left the shore in that boat, Jesus said, let us go to the other side. You know who said that? The eternal living Word of God. John said in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. That was the Word of God. They had a Word. They had a promise. But they didn't mix it with faith. That's why they were going crazy. That's why they were screaming, saying, don't you care that we perish? And some of you feel like that today, and I'm sympathizing with you. I'm not trying to be hard. I understand what it feels like. I know what storms are like, too. We've all been in storms. We've had our storms. I know what the storm is like. And some of you are in that storm this morning, but I want to tell you, don't be screaming, saying, don't you care that we perish? Sure he cares. He's at rest right there on your boat. Why don't you just bring that care to him? And why don't you mix with faith the word that he's already spoken to you? He's already promised us that we're going to make it to the other side. He's going to get you through this storm. There's not enough winds to sink that boat. There's not enough waves to sink that boat. There wasn't enough water in the Sea of Galilee to sink that boat because the Word said it was going to the other side. 
And the same thing applies to you in your situation this morning. Get in this book and find the promise that applies to your situation and put your faith against it and put your faith with it and sink your teeth into it and start confessing it out of your mouth until you believe it in your heart and stand on it and believe God and rest. Stand with me, please. I want the prayer team to come quickly, if you will. It's time to rest. It's time to rest. Some of you, if you don't rest, you're going to have a breakdown. You can't keep going like you're going. You, you, can't, you, you just can't do it. You're too close to the end of your rope. It's time to rest. It's time to bring it to Jesus. It's time to relax and believe. Mix it with faith. Believe. Just, just wrap your faith around this precious word. It will not fail you. It will not fail you. You can trust the word of God. Praise God. Brother Steve's going to sing, and while he's singing, I want all of you that are here this morning say, Preacher, the Holy Spirit has caused that to resonate in my heart. I believe that's what I need this morning. I, I believe I need to bring this situation to the Lord and, and just leave it there with Him. I, I believe I need to bring my job to the Lord. I believe I need to bring my children to the Lord. I believe I need to bring my companion to the Lord. I believe I need to bring my finances to the Lord. If you're unsaved this morning, you need to come and, and just give your heart and life to the Lord. If you're away from God, you need to come back and just renew your covenant with the Lord and say, Lord, let me yoke back up with you. I need that rest. Jesus said you'll have rest for your soul. I've told you this before. I did. I, several years ago, I, I was studying that passage from Matthew 11. And I ran across something I'd never seen before, but it was a translation of the, the words rest come from two different words in that passage. There are two different kinds of rest. The one where he said you'll find rest for your souls has the same meaning as taking the tension off of a spring. You just take the tension off. Just let it relax. Take the, some of you, are, you, you're strung so tight this morning, you're just about to pop. You're, you're like a rubber band that's about to break. His spirit will just take that tension off. That's the kind of rest he'll give you. It means taking the tension off a of spring. He'll just, he'll just take that off. You just rest. You just rest. It's what Jesus did. Jesus knew he was going to the other side. He'd already spoken the word. He wasn't worried about the Sea of Galilee sinking then. Good time of living. Not the eternal word of God. And you don't have to worry about anything sinking your boat if you're standing on the word. If you got the word. So the altar's open. I'm going to invite you to come. If, that, if the Holy Spirit's dealing with your heart, if you feel a desire to pray, just come. Come quickly from wherever you are, from the back of the balcony, the front of the church, wherever you are. Just come on. Come on right now. If you want somebody to pray with you, some of you need healing. Let somebody pray with you and for you. 
Some of you just need to come find a place just on your own. You don't need nobody, anybody to pray with you. You just need to, need to pray. But I'm going to release this to the Lord. Will you do that? God bless you as you pray.